0: Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show, Elias. I think this is the 101st episode. I know last episode was our hundredth. We, we we're at 101 today. I feel like that's an awesome milestone, and I've invited you back for the first episode after 100.
1: So the first episode after 100 is also yeah. a milestone. Absolutely. That seems it's like, like we're starting in, a new chapter. That seems like that seems like celebrating your like third anniversary.
0: Well, it's funny right before uh, right before the show, Dan Walterman, uh, who has premier health insurance, came in here and he said, when am I going to get to go back in the podcast? And Holly goes, well, you haven't been on since episode two. <laughs> so he's had a two year hiatus of being on the show, but uh, he, well, he, he wanted he wants to come on and provide some insight into the health insurance world and changes that are happening. It's probably going to be meaningful for people that listen to the show, because it's the one thing we don't talk about very much on the show is health insurance related stuff and probably shame on us because it's actually a pretty important part of somebody's overall, you know, financial plan. It's, you know, arguably the, the one area of somebody's financial planning that could derail everything. And there's no way to plan for your health. I mean, you can try to live a healthy lifestyle and have insurance, but at the end of the day, you know, some people are lucky and some people are unlucky when it comes to health.
1: And the reality for most people is at some point your health becomes your most expensive item, especially for senior investors. And, yeah, that would be great to have Dan on. Open enrollment is around the corner. I don't know exactly when it starts, the date. I know it's coming up, though. He's getting geared up for it. So it would be I'm sure he has some timely information. And he always knows all the changes that are going on because I hear him talking about it. I don't really understand it but I just
0: know he knows what he's talking about. Well, he's done a really good job of positioning himself as an expert because all that he does is the health insurance world. He doesn't try to sell, you know, other types of insurance. He doesn't sell auto insurance. He doesn't do investments. He doesn't sell annuities. He literally just does health insurance. And, you know, I remember when I started 20 years ago doing this, well, We sold investments, we sold health insurance, we sold Medicare, we sold life insurance. And you look back and you're like, man, I wasn't that good at any of it. And now we've really just went into the specialty of the financial planning world. And you just accelerate how the quality that you can provide to people. I don't even I don't know how someone could do anything other than just health insurance and actually know what they're doing because it's so complicated compared to what it was. Or what I thought it was twenty years ago. You're you are
1: probably better off just staying in your lane.
0: Well, most people, but Get in your you lane know, and stay there. M- when you when people start in our industry, they think they have to sell everything because they have to make a dollar. You know, like oh yeah, I'll take the meeting because I need the meeting. That's but true. ultimately, the the problem arises: Are you really an expert? And, and that's what I appreciate, Dan. He only does one thing. I do my insurance with him. Whatever he tells me to do, it's what we do. Um, but he'll he'll be good to have on the show because a lot of people have a lot of questions about health insurance and they want to get good information and just because you get information doesn't mean it's always good.
1: Oh, there's plenty of garbage information on the internet about health insurance. Same as our business, there's there's garbage information just readily available on the internet. We all know that.
0: So I I thought about this the other day and you know, we all listen to Market commentary and professionals and analysts. And you know what I decided? We're all just wrong. None of these people know. It, everybody's wrong. At some point they're wrong because they'd perfectly be able to time the market. Nobody knows.
1: Yeah, I agree. At some point everyone's take is wrong. I know there's been opinions and, I've had and they turn out to be wrong. But there are there are definitely people who are... More consistently on the right path.
0: No, but they're right, but they're wrong. Like, everybody's going to be right and wrong. Right, they don't yes. know. It, just think about it. If you went back to 12 months ago, nobody thought anything was going to happen. It was glorious 12 months ago. Well, now everybody's... When, everybody,
1: you, say no one, when you say no one, do you mean just... Except for Harry Dent. ...everyday person?
0: Yeah. I mean, the 90% of the investing community thought... Things were strong. The economy's strong. Inflation's transitory. So we went from everything's good, stock market at all-time highs, high growth names, inflation's going to go away to bear market, you know, negative outlooks. And, you know, part of the reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, the question I've gotten the last, I don't know, couple of weeks is, is is this over? Is the bear market over? And that's...
1: I've been, I've been wrestling with that topic in my mind and stewing on that a little bit because I don't actually, I don't know that there is a perfect way to define when the bear market is over and there's multiple ways to define it.
0: Well, guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's over. All that matters is, will it be over in five years? And the answer is probably, I mean, if it's over today or if it's over in six months, does it really matter? No. If you're trying to time the market, boy, it matters. You're probably not going to do well doing that. But literally, if you have a time horizon of longer than 18 months, it doesn't matter probably.
1: I I agree with that. And there's I think from certain from certain ways you can look at the market with um like we've we've improved what 50% we've retraced 50% of the losses. So that's usually a pretty positive sign that a bear market is over. And I agree with all those things. I think from an investor standpoint, I know for me, I'm just going to expect the bear market to continue because I don't want to be, I don't want to personally set myself up for unrealistic expectations. So I'm just, I told the client yesterday, no, the bear market's not over. There's a lot of compelling arguments of why it's not, but I'm not going to call it over until we, like, until we get back to the previous all-time high. And I, I just want you to expect that it's not over because if you expect that and then we're wrong,
0: you're going to be happy. My negative expectations that I put on my family, my wife, the world, they're rubbing off on you. Remember yeah, I told well, you how for- we went to Florida for the first time with my girls? You know, would take a, we're taking a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old to Florida – and i told my wife i'm like just expect this to be horrible if you expect this to be horrible there's no way you can be let down
1: but yeah, if you think
0: this is we're going to disney Is it world in florida is disney world or disney i don't know whatever one i can't keep in track my wife always corrects me i just said just expect this to be the worst trip you've ever taken and then if it's not you have the great expectation so for people that are worried about whether the bear market's over Just set your expectation that it's going to be around for another 12 months. And if you're okay with that, then you probably won't be disappointed.
1: Yeah. But if you set
0: the expectation that this bear market's over and this turns out to just be a little bear market rally, you're going to be highly disappointed. And I feel like people are thinking that because one thing I've noticed is I've gotten more calls from people that want to get money in the market and those same people. 3 months ago they do not want to put in the market. The reason they want to put in the market now is they they think it's getting away from them. And I've told I we talked about this when it's time to buy it's going to be hard for people to buy.
1: And the it was went up it was how, we, we experienced it. it was it was difficult for investors to buy
0: cuz they were just waiting for 2 or 3% pullback and what the market do for whatever 7 or 8 straight days up 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 up
1: and the the talk, so the talk next year, people say, "Oh, I really wish I would have bought in June of 2022." Yeah, we know. How?
0: Okay, so I was listening to a podcast because you know I'm always looking for myself. How do I diversify my world of investing? And um, there's a there's a gentleman whose name is Bill Winky, and he's probably one of the most famous um, white-tailed deer hunters in America. OK, uh, he's been writing for outdoor magazines for the better part, I think, 25 or 30 years. And there is a podcast on um, a show called Exodus talking about Bill Winkie and how he built and started buying farmland like 20 years ago. And it's the exact analogy you're talking about. He was buying his first acres for three hundred dollars an acre. Well, he just. Those acres today are selling for five. I'm talking about non-tillable recreational land. You know, tillable land's worth a lot more, but literally buying these for 300 acre, 20 years ago, selling them for $5,000 an acre today. And he was telling a story when he was like trying to buy this land. He was like squeezing the farmer for 25 or $50 an acre. And he talked about how ridiculous it sounded today that he was worried whether he got it for 375 or 400. And his whole point was, if you wanna own farmland or stocks, whatever it is, you just gotta get your money in the game.
1: And he was, so now now he's looking back going, I was negotiating over 50 bucks when realistically, he probably would've paid 200 over what he actually paid. Yeah. No. He looks back at that situation. That's exactly.
0: He's like, I could have owned so many more acres if I wouldn't have worried about the twenty five dollars. It's exactly the same as someone say, man, I wish I would have bought in June instead of July or August. It's literally over a small period of time, a non event. But if you don't do anything, it could be huge. He he said, well, what if I would have bought an extra five hundred acres because I was I I got the acres I wanted because I wasn't worried about the twenty five dollars. He'd be significantly better off. And his best point was, this is really good. And I'm relating stocks to farmland. They're interchangeable. He said, everybody's waiting to buy the perfect farm. Like, I want to buy a farm someday. I want to buy a farm for like 10 years, but guess what I haven't found?
1: The perfect, the unicorn, the perfect farm. Guess
0: what you've missed out on buying land for that recreational land for 2000 acre to five. It doesn't matter whether it's perfect. It's still a cost per acre. Well, once again, it doesn't matter if you buy the perfect investment. You just got to get your money in the game. So I thought that was actually a really good parallel. His whole idea was just get your money in the game.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with all those points. And really, if, you are, if you're engaging in any sort of investment content, financial content, And you haven't come to the conclusion that it's not possible to time the market, you'll get there. It's almost like in this, like in investing, there's like there's two there's two types of market timers: people that still believe they can do it, and then people that know it can't be done. And the people that still believe they can do it, they're just they're on the they're on their way to knowing it can't be
0: done. You know the reason they think they can do it? Because they got
1: lucky once, or they haven't tried yet.
0: They haven't tried. They, well, they actually have, you know what they haven't done? They haven't put any money in the game to try their theory. You're Once talking they, about like
1: people sitting on the sideline right now. Yeah. They're
0: saying, well, yeah, if I would have bought this stock here and sold it here, then I would have made X. Well, okay. Put your money in the game and do it. It's easy to be the sideline quarterback. Get your money oh, yeah. in the game.
1: Yeah. Everyone.
0: Yeah. And, and if, if someone's telling you they're doing it, they could have got lucky. Chances are they won't. I mean, that's a gambler's mentality. And here's the thing about those people. The question is, are they really keeping themselves honest or are they just looking for a positive return? So I'll give you an example. You you have an individual who thinks they're gonna go buy individual stocks and be successful doing this. And I'm not saying you can't be, I'm just saying it's highly unlikely for most investors unless they have some kind of an edge. And I don't mean inside information. I mean, they have an intimate knowledge of an industry that gives them some type of an edge over everybody else. And that can happen. But the question becomes, they go buy these stocks, right? And are they benchmarking? Are they saying, hey, wait, I bought four stocks and they might all go up. Well, but it did it do as good as the other investment you could have bought that was a diversified investment. Did it do as good as the stock market? Did it do as good as the, the NASDAQ? Like, most of them aren't going to keep themselves honest, and they're not going to tell you about the one stock that crapped the bed and lost eighty percent, and destroyed all the returns of the whole portfolio because they went and bought four.
1: We had we had a caller to our live call-in radio show. This is a couple months ago, and we talk about on that show and and this show we talk about just not owning individual stocks. So we had a caller call into the radio show, and and he said, well. I've been very successful owning individual stocks, and he listed off a handful, like six or seven, that he's owned. And he said, "I've been successful." Well, it also you have. How are you measuring that success? He said that. So in my mind, that tells me whatever he's determined is successful for him, he hit those metrics. But if you own, let's just call it for ease of conversation, conversation, six individual stocks and your result was the same or less than even just an index that tracks the S&P 500, you took excessive risk to get the same result. Now, if you took excessive risk and you outperformed, then to me, okay, that was a successful strategy. So that's the other thing is, is that risk even worth taking if you're not going to benefit any extra result from it?
0: Most people, Elias, don't even think about the risk reward. They don't look at the standard deviation, they don't look at any of the metrics behind what they're buying. They just somebody told them it was a good stock or they heard some news. You hit it best. They've either figured it out or they will figure it out.
1: Yeah, they've either figured it out or they're yet to figure it out. However you want to however yeah. you want to look at it. You know, I, it.
0: I'm not against I'm not against single stocks. I own some individual stocks, but I you, I own those for a different reason. I own those because they're part of my everyday life that I use or I'm part of. I bought those because it makes me feel better about spending money or generating revenue for those companies if I own part of the company. You're an owner. remember the guy in the AMC video, and he's like, well, I own part of this company. And he's like yeah. buying popcorn at the movie theater.
1: Yeah, that was great.
0: I'm an owner. so
1: Yeah, and I'm not... I'm not against it I'm I'm not against it either I just because I I do know people own individual stocks and there's plenty of people that like to trade them I just I also understand and I know enough to know better that it's not relevant to your long-term wealth building if you're interested in building a high net worth you don't need to own individual stocks to accomplish that goal you can you, be
0: right nine times out of ten and you have one tear down
1: right. So, And when you have, and to me, when you have, think of all the good companies out there that run mutual funds and have ETFs, you have all these reputable, reputable companies with all these super smart people, why don't you just let give the ball to them and let them do their job?
0: I mean, if you're a CEO or a doctor or an accountant or whatever, why, why wouldn't you just, yeah, let them do it? You're not better. It's just massive, massive overconfidence. I made this comment to someone the other day. I said, you know... They asked why you know I didn't feel they should buy individual stocks. I said, well, you only have to get rich once. Why would you have to do it twice? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you buy the one WorldCom and you ride it to the bottom, you could lose everything. Why do you want to do that? And you only have to get rich once and how- or wealthy once, however you want to look at it.
1: Right. And how many people really build their wealth in a concentrated position? Like business owners Very do that. Few.
0: I mean, if you think about the wealthiest people in America, they've built massive wealth through concentrated positions. But for every Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, how many are there that went bust because all of their wealth was in their company? It happens all the oh, time. plenty. Way know, more than
1: have been successful.
0: I know a CEO from someone... I, I know a CEO, he left, left that job to start his own company. He worked at this place like 25, 30 years, great 401k, used all of his 401k money to go start another business. Well, guess what? The business failed. So he's 70 selling cars. He concentrated all of his wealth in one company or stock his own, which hey, I'm not knocking anybody for that. But point is, that's what happens to most people when they take these highly concentrated positions.
1: Yes, it is. And the one more thing on this, the thing the the common theme that keeps coming up Is well, the price is down so much, and price alone is not an indicator of future value of that stock. There's a lot more that goes into it. Well, this down 80 percent. That doesn't mean it's going back up to the previous all-time high. It it may have never been worth that valuation, or there was really no legitimate way to actually value it. Well, you know what? Part
0: of that is that's not under. That's media. That's understanding what media is telling you. If you think about what media tells people is we're in it for the long term, hold it, it'll come back. And what we don't do as advisors and media professionals, when someone says, hey, the stock market's recovered, you should hold it, it will come back. They're referring to the broad stock market, not one individual stock. But people hear that and believe that will happen for a stock as well. So, I don't know. Elias, your kids are probably getting back to school, and mine, mine are getting ready to go. I got a first grader. I got my youngest one starting over at Montessori, and um, my wife and I had to talk the other day. She's really excited because she's going to have, for the first time, like in six years, like a two- or three-hour break during the day where she can get something done. Good. That'll be good for her. She's excited about it. I know. I'd like to say your wife's going to get that, too, but... She's not. You have another one on the way. But it got me thinking about, you know, when kids are starting to go back to school, it actually may provide adults and in us the opportunity to take a little extra time. And reflect on the things that are kind of important, and it might be a good time, I thought, that people do like a little financial checkup, right? Your kids are back in school sit down with your wife for, you know, an hour or two during the day and just take a breath, let the kids do their deal and start to do a little financial checkup and just see how you're spending, you're borrowing, how you're investing, how inflation's hit you. It's just a good time to do that.
1: It is. It's a good time to get back to the basics. And this is this is a little bit more of a harsh story, but I'm going to share it anyway cuz I think it is a good lesson. So someone approached me, asked me about investments the other day and told me their age and they're like coming up on 50 and I have nothing saved. Is that bad? And I felt, I felt bad, but I said, well, it's really not great. You should get started. Um, you know, but that person had worked at a company that didn't offer a savings plan, never, never started an IRA or a Roth IRA really does didn't know anything about investing. So I, I think if you're, you know, if you're consuming financial content through podcasts or YouTube, um, and you're, you're like thinking about getting started. Absolutely. You need to get started because at a certain point, like it's almost too late, right? Coming up on 50, it's probably not too late if you really start saving a lot of money, but it's, uh, at some point that you got to get started. So I, and this uh, might be a good reminder to
0: do that. It's a That's a good point. So I met with someone the other day and, um, you know, they're mid forties and he's like, you know, I'm embarrassed to say this. I've only saved 70,000. I said, Hey, don't be embarrassed. You're here. Like you should be embarrassed if you're not making the changes to get on the right track. You know, I, I said, don't yeah. be embarrassed about not saving enough money. You're just like most people. The good news is you're trying to take the action steps to get yourself, to make sure you have a dignified retirement and you can spend the amount of money you want to have in retirement. And in your mid forties, don't feel like that's too late. You still have some time. You can make, you take 20 years, you'd be amazed what somebody can do in 20 years. I was reading a book by uh, a gentleman in our our industry and they were talking about goal setting Elias. And it talked about how over a 12 month period of time, most people vastly overestimate what they can accomplish. Meaning we all think we can do more or bigger things in 12 months than we really can. Okay. I agree with that. But you. over five, three, five, and 10 years, most people vastly underestimate what can be accomplished over a long period of time. So, and I think for a person saving, they're like, man, they sit down and they're like, oh, yeah, I can save $2,000 a month. I can have $25,000 saved by the end of the year. And then they wake up and they only have 10, like, man, I didn't hit my goal. I'm depressed. But if they would have focused on a longer term goal, they'd be surprised that they could accumulate over 20 years.
1: Yeah. And saving saving ten thousand dollars in one year. I mean, that's I don't really care who you are. That's pretty good. It depends if, on what your and income is. If you've is, never saved yeah. any money, that's great.
0: If you went from zero to ten thousand, that'd be drastic for most people. Oh, yeah. You know, because that if you've never saved a dollar and you could save up ten. That's good. Like you did something right. Yeah, and that'll, and that'll that, compound over 20 and 25 years for people.
1: And there there are a lot more, just in general, there's way more people that are not good with money and don't make saving and investing a priority than people that do. You for know, sure. If there was just abundance of people that were saving and investing, well, it'd be harder to make content for the internet about how to do it right
0: and how to do it well. Well, I think my only takeaway was just, don't be embarrassed about where you're at. Like, not investing or saving because you are embarrassed isn't mature. Like, don't be embarrassed about it. Just take the bull by the horns and fix it. Um, one of the biggest talking points of this year is that you know how inflation is just hitting people. And one of the good exercises I think it's good for people to do, and I haven't even really started doing this with clients, but it's probably time to start thinking about this. And you know, if we 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 did a fi- you know we update financial plans for people all the time. We probably need to update what people are spending because the inflation projections we were using for the last 10 years have now all been skewed by this year. And the person that came in and said, you know, I'm going to spend $4,000 a year, but now inflation is up 10, they're spending 4,500, things could change. So I think it's a good time for people and people won't realize it's changing. Right? You think about where inflation's hit people. It's gasoline, food, housing, those places. It's not, their discretionary items. They can control that. But I would bet if people went back and tried to figure out if they're spending more now than they were, that would be a really good exercise for somebody to go figure out. Like, just, uh, hey, what was your inflation rate? And it'd be pretty easy. You just, you know, add up the spending last month. And then go back a year ago and see you spent the same month. And at the end of the day, you'd know what your inflation rate is. And we think that'd be hard. It's not. You have online banking, probably. Go pull a statement from August of twenty twenty one, August of twenty twenty two, look at all the just the regular stuff you buy. Food, groceries, take out all your discretionary food and groceries and see what it is. I'll bet a tire.
1: Yes. I, and I think this is all speculation, but I think a trend a lot of people may notice is your spending habits probably shifted too, because before inflation was bad, people were spending more money on luxury items or um, discretionary spending. Well, then all of our necessary items, food and gas and shelter and everything started going up so I'm sure there was, there's was, there been kind of a switch, too, of where you're actually spending those dollars. But I, I'd have a hard time believing anyone spending less money now than they were a year ago.
0: Well, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think they are. And also, the other thing that's happened, because of all the injection of money, I think we've seen some lifestyle creep. Like, and that's oh, something people should absolutely. be aware of and avoid. Because think about it. We started sending out checks to people for child tax credit. We sent out stimulus checks to everybody, like all this just money injected into the economy and people then decided, well, yeah, I can go spend this and I can take this vacation, I can do this. And they started getting lifestyle creep. Probably the
1: biggest indicator of lifestyle creep is look at all the nice vehicles out on the road now. And then we also know that uh, repossessions of vehicles is trending upward. So that's a lifestyle creep right there. People had extra money and. Went out and got a you know a no interest loan on a car that was real expensive. And
0: here here's the other way. I just went while we're sitting here and just Google this real quick. Um credit card debt year over year. Uh since the second quarter of two thousand twenty one, credit card balances, total balances have risen by one hundred billion. That's a thirteen percent increase.
1: In credit card balance So year over
0: year, credit card balances have increased thirteen percent. Lifestyle creep. And it's the largest year-over-year jump in 20 years. So what's happening? And you hit it on the head. This is what's happening. The basic necessities of life, we're still paying with our bank account, but we still feel like we need to take the vacation and all of our friends are taking vacation and I need to go buy this new iPad or whatever it is. And it's going on the credit card. It's the number one indicator.
1: YOLO. You got to YOLO while you can. Isn't it FOMO? You only live I,
0: once. Once I, I I had asked someone what FOMO was the other day. They're like fear of missing out. I'm like, oh god, you know. You didn't inter- know that? Well, no, the internet wasn't created when I got married. Well, why would I know? Yeah, that's true. So I think the other that that's the other thing is if you use a credit card, which you know, if someone uses it responsibly, fine. It's probably not the best thing to do, but just have one. What gets really easy for people is I have ten cards. And they have a small balance on each card, but those small balances add up to one gigantic balance that they have to tackle. Yeah. And the reason they do multiple cards isn't because they want multiple cards. They just feel better about having a $1,000 balance on each card than uh. 10000 on one. Psychologically, it feels better. Well, yeah, I could pay that $1,000 off, but you have to do it 10 times. Yeah,
1: and the, sometimes the best solution for a credit card is just cut it up and get rid of the thing. I mean, if you can't really use it responsibly, that might be your only option. That
0: credit card, in my opinion, it's an emergency thing or a business thing, right? You're booking a business travel trip. You pretty much need a credit I mean, I'm not giving my my debit card out over the internet. I'm just not doing it. Yeah, Like, I'm not. My business, it's a credit card for business mm-hmm. all day. Um, but for most people, that should literally just be the the line of last last resort, especially now, these interest rates are up over 20%. Credit card, what's the average credit card Man, interest rate today? It's gotta be over, know, over 20.
1: That is, a, that is a lot. So I remember the first credit card that I got. I was still in, in school, and I got one from uh, the bank I was banking with. I just thought it was cool that they would even give me a credit card. And I think it had like a 600 or $800 limit. So of course, uh, go out to go out for lunch with some friends and I bought, I bought lunch for like me and two other buddies and they're like, Hey, thanks. And I go, don't thank me. Thank the bank. It's on the bank today.
0: The a- I-, I just went to credit uh, creditcards.com. The average, the average maximum credit card APR right now is
1: 25.44%. Wow.
0: So if you got 10 grand on there, you're, you're, you spent 2,500 bucks to go buy the stuff that you thought you needed today that you probably didn't. That's insane. That's a lot.
1: It's a lot of money. Well, they're not going out of business anytime. soon. no credit card companies, they're doing well.
0: Um, you know, if you have cards, make sure you have limits on them and alerts. So a lot of these cards, like I know my business card, if it goes over a certain amount, I get an alert and then it sends me a weekly alert that says you're within X amount of your balance, you know, and how I do the business credit card, I just pay it weekly. You know, if you have a $1,000 charge and you pay it weekly, it's a lot better. Or when you do it, like if you're using that card for safety, you literally just charge and pay it off right away. Oh, that's, You don't have yeah, to let it that, sit there. I yeah. think, I think if for 30 days, there's like a grace period on the interest. So you don't have to yeah. leave it on the credit card if you're using it. And some people get points or whatever. I don't think... Using a credit card to get points is really a brilliant idea. I think it yeah. leads to a lot of problems, to be totally honest with people. Um, and ultimately, if you need help, like putting this stuff together, you need help kind of seeing where, you know, doing your financial checkup, you can always just get a financial advisor. I mean, that's what we're here for. I, I mean, we're here to help people and get you on the right track. You can go to btwellshow.com click Get Started. We're happy to help people get on the right track. You have any other closing remarks, last for the hundred and first episode?
1: I think working with a financial advisor, I think that's really good advice, and that's such a simple solution to what what can maybe be a complex area of people's life. And I think we do a good job of keeping it simple. So yeah, I, I just I agree with that. If there's people out there looking for help, we are here and we're here to help.
0: With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. Catch you next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing.